The other big news of the week was uh, the revelation by Buzz, who dropped the big Huntsman dump on everybody, that uh, Thomas Roberts is going on trial to Scotland. Yeah. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious Fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and joined today by two of my good friends, but we do have a late change to the starting lineup. Dan Crook uh, was doing some keepy-uppies and pulled a calf, and he's been taken out of the starting lineup. So replacing him is the self-proclaimed fanciest soccer dude in Dallas, the one, the only, Tyler Kern. Yes, yes, yes. Very fancy. Uh, also, the you've dubbed me the Maxi Rudy of pickup soccer, which... Um, you, <laughs> look, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at that as in the most positive and glowing of terms. You, I can't uh, tell the listeners uh, how much you remind me of Maxi Rudy, and it is all the all the good reasons: the effort, the pace, the never ending drive, and the willingness to take the most ridiculous shots from distance at any chance he gets. Uh, that is you, and and more times than not, you uh, you're good for bagging them every once in a while, sir. Every so often, I have a better hit rate than Brian Acosta. That's for sure, and I, I, that's that's my main goal. Is I'd like to keep it that way. If in life, if you could only just make sure that you're you're converting <laughs> shots at a rate higher than Brian Acosta, and, and most of us are uh, at that, sir. Uh, already. Yes. So thanks for joining us today, Tyler. It's awesome to have you. By the way, Tyler is also the voice of FC Dallas's uh, radio uh, game by uh, game day radio program. And where do you find that on the FC Dallas website? fcdallas.com slash radio. If you go to the homepage, it's not easy to find from there. Uh, so just <laughs> just bookmark fcdallas.com slash radio and show up 30 minutes before a game and we'll be there. FC Dallas, number one in sport for user experience. <laughs> and of course, also joining us is your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, founder and editor of thirddegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Uh, before Tyler explains to me why he's the fanciest uh, guest we've ever had, I want to just say congratulations, Peter, on your over 50 championship, my friend. Ah, thank you. Uh, yes, it was a good night. Uh, we started a new over 50 division in the Dallas Soccer Alliance that plays out at MoneyGram. And let me just tell you something, guys. When you get an opportunity to play on a proper soccer pitch like they have over there, uh, life is good. And, yeah, we went undefeated this season and won the uh, inaugural uh, season of that division. So I'm pretty proud about that. Well, congratulations. And uh, I, I find your uniforms particularly fascinating, but um, the trophy looked fun and you guys look like you have a good time. And I'm jealous that you get to play over there. Uh, when you get to be my age, uh, being uh, dressed up in nothing but highlighter yellow actually uh, has, has, <laughs> has its advantages uh, when you're looking for people to pass the ball to or at least, think, or at least attempt to pass the ball to. And, you know, not very successful all the time. 
Uh, very good. All right. Well, uh, we're all set. We're here to go. Uh, you know, it's funny since the last time we talked about this, I feel like there's been a shift in, in the mood about the club because here we are. Uh, the team is now undefeated in its last four. And if you even look a little further back, there are four wins with only one loss and a draw. And now they've locked in a spot for the playoffs, which almost ridiculously, if a certain set of uh, results happen on decision day, Dallas could end up as high as second place. Uh, before we get into the last two games uh, individually, Buzz, what has happened to this team that it's all got us so excited now? Well, you remember two episodes ago, we were we were talking about how all of a sudden the Fire Lucci chorus was back, you know, relative to the meltdown in Nashville and then the game where they went on the road against RSL and put in that humongous defensive bunker. But uh, since those two abysmal performances, it's been the complete opposite. We've had phenomenal performances for four straight weeks and everyone is back to feeling rosy about the direction the club's going and uh, admittedly in a short season, they, they had that fall off window and now they're back to a window where things are clicking and people like some of the changes that have happened. So again, this goes back to why we, we try collectively, I think all of us in the media side anyway, certainly at third degree, we try and maintain a level head about results sometimes and not let a specific game or even a couple of games get us too out of wonk. We still try to look at the big picture as how things go. And this is exactly why we should just as much not be out of our mind excited right now as we were not out of our mind excited two weeks ago. Speak for yourself, Buzz. Yeah, I know you're hyped. <laughs> Top two. Let's do it. <laughs> no, but Buzz is right, though. I, I remember feeling really doom and gloom just a couple of weeks back, right? Uh, after that uh, Nashville game and even after the uh, the um, uh, the Real Salt Lake game, I was thinking, like, what is going on with this team? That first half, I thought, was uh, was particularly bad. Buzz, I don't think you thought it was as bad as, as maybe I did, but I, I came on at halftime on, on the radio broadcast and was just like, what is going on? Like what, what is happening with this team? And, uh, and it's amazing how quickly things can change in this season where you have two games a week. Right. And, uh, and what, a you know, a few runs of wins together can, can really do, especially for your standing in the, you know, in the Western conference standings and the playoff race, things along those lines, but it's amazing how quickly things can change. And it, it took a couple of, uh, adjustments from Lucha Gonzalez when it came to what the starting lineup looks like, but it feels like things are, are actually clicking now at this point. Well, let me let me just say for uh, everybody uh, to defend those, and myself included, and Tyler, you probably too, those who had doom and gloom about the Real Salt Lake game, because I certainly felt that way about it, it's, it's probably not unfair to feel that way when your head coach makes the choice of taking off your ball-possessing creative midfielder for a center back in a 0-0 game against the team that may or may not make the playoffs. Uh, that didn't feel like a really good time um, uh, for the club now, ultimately, yes, probably you know working for the draw worked out in their favor, but there you, you, there's no reason to feel bad about feeling doom and gloom in that particular scenario. Yeah, I think this year Lucci has uh, put an overemphasis on defense. We've seen that from the you remember very back at the beginning of this season. There was all there was no spring training basically, so it was just like the first couple of games were like spring training. That was true at the beginning of the year. And then it was true coming out of the COVID. And so it was all about the defense. And then when it started to go South in those two back-to-back games, or at least against the national game, he then, he went back to the defense. And that was what I tried to separate from the RSL game was a bad performance separated from a a choice to be defensive. Now I get it. Like I, I was mystified too, when he took out Ricarte because 
when you're trying to relieve pressure, you have to be able to hold the ball. And he took out everybody that could hold the ball, whether it be a striker or a midfielder, because if you can't do that, you can't relieve pressure. But nonetheless, the bigger tackle picture, I understood what was happening um, and also can recognize that it wasn't a very good performance. But, you know, since then, everything's going the other way. And I do wonder, as Tali pointed out with this fast schedule of twice a week, I wonder if that even helps in the locker room because you don't have a whole week to dwell on these losses. You just got to immediately turn around and go. Well, the good news is is that we have uh, two games to review since the last time we did a pod, and that includes two shutouts, two wins, and two games that featured goals that Dallas scored actually in the run of play, and a few that weren't scored by Ryan Hollingshead, uh, which is a, seems like a miracle unto itself since he was the only person scoring of late. So let's go back to uh, Dallas 3, Houston 0. You know, this was an interesting game, not just because of the fact that Dallas was able to really get off the snide in terms of creating goals, um, but also in the fact that it just seemed to give the team a little bit of momentum. Uh, And uh, we also maybe started to see the peak of Jesus Freya starting to figure things out a little bit uh, for the team and goals by Fafa Pico, who we started to worry if he actually had any purpose on this club. Yeah, I don't know what, what Tyler will think of this, but I thought Fafa Pico was so good in that game, not just his goal scoring, but like his movement, like his ability to actually run by a guy. It's like, where's that been for like a month and a half? And so in hindsight, I wonder if maybe there's a knock there that we didn't know about, that maybe he was struggling with something. And when it comes to Jesus, and I know Tyler agree with me on this one, the positional change for him is the key. Um, and it was the, this was the first game I really noticed it was that rather than playing as a 10, and it relates to Ricarte, which we'll talk about later, I imagine, the fact that Jesus isn't playing as a midfield 10, he's playing almost like a withdrawn striker where he's getting up into the box. And in that game and the game since, multiple goals are being scored because of the impact of the extra body getting into the box. And this is something we've been talking about all season that's been lacking and Jesus is now doing that, and it changes everything because now the center backs have to account for two guys instead of one, and Hara's looking at a man-on-man instead of a double team. It just changes everything. Yeah, I, I, entire, I entirely agree with both points that, that Buzz made. If, if you think back to uh, the game at home against Minnesota, I'm trying to find when that was, but it was a win for FC Dallas. Uh, it was back on August 29th, and they won 3-1. And if you remember, Fafa Pico started that game off just gangbusters. He scored the first goal. Uh, on uh, a long ball kind of down the left side, hit by Brian Acosta, cut inside on his right foot, beat his defender, scored uh, on a shot from right at the top of the box. And then the second goal was was set up by a cross from, from Fafa Pico, and I thought, man, he looks fast, he looks good, he looks sharp. But then if you remember, he got hurt uh, in the middle of that game, and then I, I feel like we hadn't seen that same Fafa Pico since that point until Saturday in that game against uh, against Houston. So you wonder if he was ever fully healthy, fully fit, uh, fully back to, you know, the, the way that he wants to be, the way that he wants to play, because you know he has that, that speed and sharpness, but it felt like so long since we had seen it. And, and as I was thinking back on that point, I thought, man, it really has been, I think, since that Minnesota game at the end of August, since we've seen Fafa really play that way. And so that was that was particularly exciting to see. And then I, I think Buzz is absolutely right when it comes to the positioning of Jesus Ferreira on the field, just what he's been able to do. If you think back to the Houston loss, uh, right, the, the one that they lost 2-0, where they had the entire second half playing up a man and just felt like... 
every cross went into the box and there was just nobody there to be on the end of it. It was like Franco Hara three on one against uh, three Houston defenders. Um, that was a that was a really really frustrating match. And so getting more players into the box, I think, has been an emphasis. But then putting Jesus Ferreira on the field, pushing him up into a position where maybe he can feel a little bit more comfortable is getting the best out of him, I think. And uh, he played a really nice ball uh, for a goal. I, I know I'm skipping ahead, but a really nice ball for, for Ryan Hollingshead on the goal um, in the game against Nashville. And so I think that that is a product of him feeling a little bit more comfortable on the field, a little bit more comfortable in his positioning, and uh, and maybe starting to see him turn his 2020 season around, which hadn't been great up until this point. Now, Buzz, in your uh, now famous and much beloved Three Things video that you post uh, in the mere moments after any particular game, you were really uh, raving about Ricarte's new position and, and kind of playing as a deep eight. Why don't you uh, expand for everybody a little bit about that? Oh, my gosh, yeah. I uh, This is one of the most exciting, in my opinion, developments of the season. You know, we've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about Ricarte and how from the very beginning we talked about his being more of an eighth than a 10. This is a subject we've hit on many a times. But specifically in the Houston game, it wasn't just that they kind of used him more as an eight, which they had been doing more and more and more. And, and we've talked about this subtle change that was happening. The Houston game, they finally 100% lined him up as a double pivot with a right next to Santos as your pure six. And Ricarte as a, what we would call a deep playmaking eight, like a deep linking eight, not even like a linking eight, like a getting forward guy, although he does do that some. More of like, if I can be totally crazy, more of a Xavi Alonso sit deep and play make. I'm, I'm, I'm using that name as a style point, Peter, not to say he's, <laughs> he is that, but to say that's the kind of player he he's is. He's like a foot taller than Xavi. <laughs> well, no, not. I'm kidding. Just Xavi Alonso, not Xavi. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yes, you did say a lot. Yeah, the deep, (laughs) that deep, not a six, that deep playmaking eight. Now, that is what made Jesus be a high 10, a high off striking 10, was the fact that you didn't have your double eight look with Acosta. You had the full double pivot with Santos next to him. And this has happened now for two straight games. And to me, this is the way forward for this club. This is why the offense is now working, because... It is a legit double pivot, which gives Santos just a little bit more help. It's a guy who will put in some defensive work, not that other people in that spot don't. But more importantly, because Ricarte's not a ticky-tacky, tiny space guy. He's a dude that has really good vision and makes particularly great medium to long passes. So when you sit him deep, the whole game is in front of him, and he can tear apart a team with those passes and he actually had a post-game quote that I thought was particularly good that he said basically so I'm a paraphrase he said our wingers are really fast so they can get behind the defense we have to take advantage of that so he's recognizing that he needs to be playing these splitting long balls to get guys going on the break and to me this is the trigger that is turned on these last two games with the offense and that includes the wing backs getting forward not wing backs outside backs getting forward too I don't know that I'd call Ryan fast, but Brian certainly is, and Barrio certainly is, and Papa Pico certainly is, and Ryan's quick enough. So you got four guys overloading and attacking, and he can take better advantage of them from that deep lying position. And then when you overload Jesus into the box, all of a sudden you could have as many as six guys getting into the box with a guy shooting these longer to medium length passes in there. And I think it's phenomenal. I think it's the key to everything that's happened the last two weeks, basically. 
Well, and Lucci said in the buildup um, to these games, he said, you know, it's it's been a process. It's taken a little while to figure out the puzzle pieces and where they go and how our team best fits together. And I think, you know, Peter, you mentioned earlier just that, that maybe having two games a week, you know, doesn't let players dwell too long on the previous result. And I think that that's partially true. But I think on the flip side of that is that you then don't have a ton of time to get on the practice field and correct things and, and to figure out, okay, what does actually work? And so I think this maybe took longer this season in terms of number of games to figure out how to exactly piece this midfield together in a way that that is functional that works um then maybe it would have in in previous seasons because you would have had a full week of practice maybe you would have gotten ricarte out there and learned this a little bit sooner or maybe started this this experiment a little early on in his time in dallas but i do think it's it's worth noting that i think lucci feels like he really has found a combination and he even said we could play this at home or on the road and i think he feels really confident with this midfield alignment with these particular players at this point in time and to me just as you get closer to the playoffs as you get close to the end of the season it has just been such a weird season primarily i mean more for fc dallas and nashville than any other team in the league because of the whole orlando situation that i think finally landing on this is what we want to do this is what we do well this is how we can unlock the potential of you know the most talented players we have on our roster utilizing the speed of the the players on the outside like buzz was mentioning utilizing that passing range of andre Chicarte, um and, and some of the other things that this team can can do really well I think figuring that out and, and knowing how those puzzle pieces fit together in a coherent way at this point in the season is a, is a huge advantage for them now, and, and we've seen that pay off in the results. You know, the other kind of interesting note about the Houston game was that Rito Ziegler uh, uh, did not start, and he also didn't start in the game last night in Nashville, uh, and we're starting to see a lot more Brisson, and I'm wondering, Buzz or Tyler, in fact, I'll even start with you, Tyler, do you have any insight? Uh, is there something, is Reto being, um, is this a function of Reto being rested or is this a function of hey we're winning with Brisson and he's playing pretty well and so we're going to stick with him I don't have any any inside information on this but what I what I went into last game thinking especially as it related to Franco Hara Fafa Pico guys that picked up training knocks and even a, a Reto Ziegler who had been out of the lineup due to you know COVID precautions and things along those lines is that at this point in the season if with with a playoff spot already secured if you don't you don't want to turn a minor injury into a major injury at this point in the season or you don't want to rush a guy back if he's not fully fit not ready to play um you know the the amount of time that you're going to need him to play on the field i also think that that maybe fc dallas likes brisson and i'm i'm sure buzz has more insight on this than me but i i think fc dallas likes what they're getting out of brisson in some areas i thought he had a um, a, a pretty good game against Nashville, a, a good game against Houston. I, I, I don't know that I have a, a ton of complaints. I think that Steve was mentioning on the broadcast that a big point of emphasis for FC Dallas has been uh, reining in a, a little bit more of Brisson's natural aggression, <laughs> wanting to uh, you know run out on every uh, every attacker and that sort of thing, and that that being reined in a little bit more. I think. I think the hardest thing for Brisson is that the majority of the time we've seen him in an FC Dallas shirt, it's been coming in as the third center back and playing in a back five uh, at the end of a game or filling in for Matt Hedges, which is an impossible task for, for most every center back in the league outside of maybe a handful, right? And so I think that maybe Brisson has gotten a bad rap, but he's maybe not. Um, maybe we should be thinking of him differently than we have been because I thought the, his last couple of games weren't weren't terribly bad and you look at Reto Ziegler who's 34 will be 35 by the time the next season rolls around I think at some point you have to start thinking 
what's our what's our long term plan here? And I know that that Brisson is is right foot dominant and uh, Reto Ziegler's left foot, so it's not necessarily a like for like replacement. But uh, I think if FC Dallas likes him as a player, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more of Brisson moving forward. But I, I'm sure Buzz has has more he can he can add on that. Well, specifically, of course, Brisson is seven years younger than Reto, and in this heavy load, that's a significant difference. Mm-hmm. But um, and I trumpeted the idea of when a coach has been pre- preaching winning and results that when a team wins, you, you maintain the team. And that was what I talked about with Brisson maintaining his spot. But let's be honest. Let's look at uh, Reto Ziegler's track record here. You know how many times he came off the bench as a sub prior to this last two-game stretch? Zero. He's never been a sub before. Every other game he's ever played here, he either started or he's hurt and didn't play. So the point being is that this is a standout red letter moment just from that alone, right? So here's the thing. You and I, Peter, speculated that you remember the game that he first sat out was the game where he had the COVID proximity problem. And pretty much everybody around the team said, it's just one game. He's already back training on Thursday. He'll be back Saturday, no problem. And then that didn't happen. And it hasn't happened since then. And we speculated that uh, Reto had released that COVID information earlier in the day. And Dan had even dug around a little bit and learned that he probably wouldn't have mentioned it was COVID if he hadn't done that. So I've been digging. And I don't have anybody directly in the team. I don't have a coach tell me this. I don't have a player tell me this. But people that know people have told me that, yes, 100% the club is pissed really, really, really pissed about Reto doing that. So did he get benched because of that? Boy, yeah, pretty much actually. Now you can make all these other cases that, oh no, there's a consistency of winning. Yes, that's true. hundred percent true. And that's a factor. Brisson is significantly younger. And even though Brisson is slow, he's still faster than Reto. Significant factor. The heavy workload, significant factor. But I can assure you that the COVID reto announcement was a factor and a big factor. And that's the thing that may actually have ended his starting days with this club because we now see that Brisson is perfectly capable of playing exactly the same level as Reto. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, tactically, no, but physically, probably. And it's close. Listen, I don't think Brisson is as good as Reto. I think Brisson is not good enough to be a starter here. I think that position needs to be upgraded athletically. If not that alone, at least in age for sure. But speed needs to be better. It's not good enough for both guys. But I'm telling you that we've probably now seen the end of Reto as a starter because you can't start Reto in the playoffs after starting Brisson for the last three games now going into the playoffs, the games okay, they so, count. So I, I got a couple of things about this, and I, wanna, I, I want just for those who are listening to the pod that are not up to date on what Buzz is referring to, in the, I guess it was, how many days before the Miami game did he, did this, did the announcement come out? Was it the day before? Uh, I think it was even the morning of, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so. I, yeah, the, the, the announcement came the morning of, I got word of it the day before along with all the other broadcasters just hey hey something to be aware of this is a situation um that might be classified but there you go yeah <laughs> so <laughs> the, that was a midweek game uh against miami and either the day before or the morning of 
Rito Ziegler posts on his Instagram uh, just essentially telling everybody, hey, just I want to be honest and transparent. My I, Was it his wife had been exposed to somebody yes. who tested mm-hmm. positive, so he just wanted to be double, triple safe, and he was going to go into quarantine. And then it took several hours, but eventually the club announced the same thing. And so... And and those of us who follow the club pretty closely in these kind of operational matters all just immediately assumed that Rito had done something that probably didn't make the front office very happy. And so that's what you're alluding yes. to, Buzz, is that they were not, in fact, happy about yeah, it. Yeah, 100%. Remember, this club's a big on informational control. And this isn't just this club now. Every no. sports team in the world. Listen, I work college football for a living. Those clubs, those college teams will not talk about their COVID stuff, period. Right? So... The same is true of this club. They don't want to talk about COVID stuff. They got ripped for it up and down. They are really mad as a collective. And now, is it Lucci? Is it PR? Is it Dan? I don't know. I just know there's a significant factor here with how angry they were that he went outside the pathway. They're they're big on that there. Everyone's got a job. The right people need to do this. And so it is 100% a big deal and he went outside the system and they are not happy about it. Okay. But, but my question is, does, does Rito take that action because he knows the club? Was that a a Rito decision? Because a, he wanted to let everybody know and he wanted to do it because he didn't think the club would ever announce it publicly or B was he just being social media guy and openly sharing his life story and didn't even put two and two together and thinking that maybe he'd do something that would piss the club off. That was pretty savvy. I think Dan's suggestion that he knows that how old he is, he knows the season's almost over, and he knows he might need to find another place to play if indeed he wants to next year. So, like, I I think it's entirely plausible from his point of view that I don't want them to claim I'm hurt. I'm gonna to put it like it is that I'm not hurt. It's I'm only out for whatever reason. So that's why I think he did it. I don't think he's the person that would have just accidentally done something like that. It takes too long to type that up and prep that graphic and all that stuff. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was like he just jotted it down with a photo of him <laughs> laying down yeah. with a thermometer in his mouth. It was a, It was actually a pretty uh, pretty screwed together announcement on his part. So yeah. what? That that is that is really interesting, and I think even if you bring it back to the to the field side of things, I think when FC Dallas plays out of the back. I think we've seen teams, and Buzz, you can tell me what you, what you think about this, but I, I think that we've seen teams try to force FC Dallas down the left side much, much more because Matt Hedges, I, I think his passing has improved so, so much over the last couple of years that he's splitting lines on a regular basis with his passing and has been really, really money with the way that he's played out of the back. I think teams force the ball over to Brisson's, or not, not Brisson, uh, to Reto Ziegler's side when those guys are paired together. Uh, on a pretty regular basis, I think FC Dallas knows that that's a weakness when they try to play out of the back. That uh, that the ball often uh, that, that strikers are shading FC Dallas to play it to the left, play it to Reto and uh, and Ryan's side, and uh, and and they're willing to take their chances there rather than going with uh, Hedges and uh, and you know early part of the season Reggie Cannon and now uh, now Brian Reynolds. Yeah, I think this is a really really important point because I'm sitting here looking at the passing chart from the Nashville game and. If I'm looking at all the vertical passes uh, coming out of the back, I mean, he's got a ton of uh, completed passes going back and forth like <laughs> like every Dallas defender and deep-lying midfielder does. But he also has a ton of missed passes that uh, try to go forward past the halfway point of the field. 
And when you look at Matt Hedges, it's very different. Now, what I haven't done is tried to compare that to a Rito Ziegler passing map. I'm going to guess that Rito, just my eyeball test is, is that Ziegler is a considerably better passer going forward than Brisson is. Oh, there's no question about that. Yeah, no question. Reto across the board has better qualities than Brisson in every way that matters, except for the fact that he's seven years older and is slower. But other than that, Reto's a better player in every way. You can particularly spot the emphasis on the right right side, a.k.a. Dallas's left side defense, when Johnny Nelson in there is in there. Now, I know I get shit for trashing Johnny Nelson, I, but I'm not. I'm just aware of what his flaws are, and one of them is the build. So when it's Nelson and Reto, there's no build up the left side at all. They just completely abandon it. Um, Ryan's better at it, so it's a little bit better. But definitely this team, FC Dallas, is lopsided right for sure. Since Brian Reynolds particularly came into the mix and became such an offensive weapon, the team's definitely overloaded to the right in almost every game. Hmm. Well, uh, look at Buzz, uh, breaking news. All right, so that's an interesting thing to keep your eye on. So you're saying you don't think Rito starts again this season unless there's an injury otherwise. Well, injury, yes, or uh, you rotate against Minnesota maybe, but I don't think you can start Brisson for three games three wins, three build up to the playoffs, playing the best ball of the year, and then bench him for Ziegler. I don't think that's possible. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that at this point they're past the being mad. I probably, maybe, I mean, but uh, I, I'm, I'm at this point assuming that you won't see Reto start another game for uh, FC Dallas. I don't know. A woman scorned. Um, all right. So let's see here. Uh, so I think this is a good point to seg over to the Nashville game because uh, it's certainly with the uh, end of the season coming on two road games and Dallas has not been good on the road this year. I think prior to this, they had won one game. Is that one? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One game. And I'm not even sure if this one officially counts as a road game because I'm confused as to which games count as uh, these Nashville-Dallas games count as home games and which ones don't. And I don't really think ultimately it's all that important. Uh, but considering what had happened uh, back just several days earlier uh, when they lost in Nashville and didn't look good at all, and of course Nashville has this whole kind of thing hanging over its head that it's an expansion team and people aren't really paying attention that actually they're not all that bad and they've got a damn good defense, walking out of there with a 1-0 win and playing as well as the team did, I think is a really good bright shining light as we move into the playoffs yeah there's no question and by the way that game does not count as a road game that was the neutral that was the third makeup game because they still only have one road win officially um but yes went on the road particularly against a team that had just manhandled them in every way possible for the first three games of the year peter hard to win a fourth time right yep that's going to come up um, yes, it you know, is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this team, FC Dallas, is clicking the best they have all year. The The same effective formation. Ricarte is a deep line play, making eight. The same Jesus, high 10. You know, it's the same. I mean, there was a couple of shifts in personnel, but the tactics was the same. And that's what was even more impressive is that they shifted some pieces and the tactics still worked and were still just as good. Uh, and in particular, I thought it was funny that Nashville after having bunkered against Dallas for three straight games and winning decided to play a little bit. And then of course lost. (laughs) Tyler, uh, uh, in terms of what you were having to look at uh, last night, any particular like outstanding item that you want to talk about in their win last night? I thought Tiago Santos had a, had himself a really really nice game, and I think he's he's strung together totally a couple agree. of yeah I think he's strung together a couple of nice performances. There are 
always going to be uh, maybe a loose pass or two in, in a game like that, especially Nashville pressing up as high as they were and um, and trying to create some chaos for FC Dallas as they play it out of the back. But in terms of a guy that was just uh, cleaning up left and right from that defensive midfield spot, I, I think it, it maybe has flown under the radar how good he's been when FC Dallas has been playing well. And so, uh, so I wanted to highlight his performance for sure. I would let me say this uh, tied to that, Tyler. I, I think you could go through game by game and you could take a measurement of how the team overall performed and the result they got out of a game based almost solely on how well Tiago Santos played in that game. And and I would make the analogy in many ways, while I don't think he's his equal, it's the same thing that we used to say a lot over the last two previous seasons. This team goes as Carlos Grezo goes. Mm. Yeah, I think that's I I think that's reasonable, and and you look at the the spine of your team, right? And we've talked about the center backs. The next guy up is is Tiago Santos, and you, you need a guy that's going to be able to shield the back line from some of the danger that other teams are going to try to present. And I, I thought he did an excellent job of that last night, and and has done a good job of that over the last several games. And so I think that that is. I I, I remember specifically in the Miami game thinking I think Tiago Santos has had himself a really really nice game here, uh, and so it's it's several games in a row now that I, that I think it's been really positive performances from. Uh, from the deepest lying midfielder. And then I, I think you also have to talk about Ryan Hollingshead. I, again, I mean, scoring a goal is his fourth goal of the season, but all four goals have been game-winning goals, right? Um, it, it, I think twice against Sporting Kansas City, he scored uh, the goal that won them the game, and then the goal against Miami, and then uh, the other night against Nashville. So um, big goals from Ryan Hollingshead. And then the, the goal line clearance, obviously, off of the corner kick late on in the game that, that preserved the win for FC Dallas. And so... Um, just a, an extremely valuable player. And as we talk about um, potentially Reto Ziegler playing his last game for FC Dallas or starting his last game for FC Dallas, if you're looking around for a guy that maybe should be the captain moving forward, for me, it's for me the guy. The guy on this team is Ryan Hollingshead. He was also getting chippy um, against Nashville. You know, wasn't afraid to to get a little physical to talk back to some of the players. I love Ryan. I love the way he plays. Um, it, it, it feels kind of haphazard, but it, but it always works, uh, or it works more often than not. He's a guy that, that I, I wouldn't be afraid to give the armband to. Uh, Buzz, I know we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Ryan Hollingshead. I will say in relation to Tyler's comment about him getting chippy, every time I see Ryan do something a little chippy and, or, uh, uh, cynical on the field, I think that's the same dude that built a church. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing it all, but but with the love of Jesus. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure he is. It just like those two things don't go together. It's, <laughs> it's funny how people will change on the field. Um, uh, uh, never mind. Uh, anyway, so Ryan starts off at the left wing, and my big takeaway from last night, which is kind of screwed up by Fafa Pico's performance in the game prior, where he scored the two goals, was what if the solution to the left wing, long-standing left wing issue for FC Dallas all along has been on the field in Ryan Hollingshead? All right. Well, so I would echo the idea that Ryan had a particularly fantastic game, but I think. Uh, sometimes you can see a little bit of in his instincts being slightly off because he hasn't played there in a long time. Uh, and that's true also when you see him shift to like right back, for example, his instincts are off. Ryan's the kind of player that gets in a groove. Now he's reliable. You can put him anywhere and there's a level of trust. But um, Lucci did double down in the postgame show with the idea that Ryan's career going forward and their impetus with him is going to be as a left back. They're not looking to move him. Um, and that's my biggest takeaway from the thing is, you know, Peter, I, I hate breaking one position to fix another. Now, Johnny Nelson's not a breaking a position, but don't change one position to fix a different position. 
because you have other wings on this team. You have guys that play that position. Now, yeah, but you but this is a club that has struggled now for multiple seasons in a row to solve the problem of left wing. I mean, I mean the the list of players goes on and on. Um and up until Fafa Pico dropped two on Houston the other day, um I still feel like it was one of the big the team's biggest uh, problem spots. Yeah, but if you read any of like the Nashville stuff this morning, their guys are all decrying why the hell were we in a 352? What why did you take apart our amazing defense? You know, all of a sudden there's no right back over there. You know, I mean, there are mitigating factors. I Now, granted, he did play really well. I'm not bagging on Ryan's performance. I thought he was fantastic. You know, the takeaway for me here is that Lucci has a very, very short bench and the ability and the number of players that he's willing to start, right? I mean, he'll start mm-hmm. Nelson and he'll start Ryan almost anywhere. But of guys that aren't typical starters, Tessman he'll start. Brisson obviously now is maybe he's a starter, but whatever, he'll play him. Santi or Fafa, either one of those guys, right? Pepe, but that's really it, right? He'll start Pepe. Will he start Savania anymore? Uh, no. Tuamase, Atuahene, no. Montgomery, no. Zoback only when everybody else was hurt. Seely, no. Roberts, no. Munjoma, no. Cirillo, no. You're, you're, you can include, oh yeah, Burgess, no. Arangis is gone. Justin Che is not even on the roster. So there literally are 11 guys on the roster that Lucci will not start. Now, if you interview him and ask him, he'll be like, oh yeah, I trust everybody. Garbage. <laughs> no, clearly not. Clearly there's like six dudes that he'll play and that's it. So like Buzz he's rest stuck. His case. Yeah. He's Your stuck honor. using Nelson as a left back and Ryan as a wing because he won't play anybody else. Right. So, I mean, to me, that's the takeaway and that's the problem. It's like you either got to do, do something different with your roster because you got 11 dudes that he's not willing to play. Well, not willing to start anyway. And half those guys he won't play at all, let alone well, you know, bent off the bench. Well, let me just say this. I, and I, maybe when I make that observation, I don't necessarily mean that it's a, it's a change that needs to happen right now. Yeah. But on a long-term vi- – I mean, for those listening to the pod that you know only know Ryan as a left fullback, the reality is – the dude played an attacking position, mostly as an attacking left winger, I believe, uh, his entire yeah. career. Even when he started here in Dallas, that's how he started off. It wasn't until, what, his second season that somebody moved, Oscar tried to move him to the back? Yeah, he was a left wit or, excuse me, left mid or left wing in college and in, in uh, with FC Dallas pretty much until they, they switched him a couple of years ago. So, you know, I'm with you, but Lucci says no. Lucci says he's a left back. Okay, that's so, fine. He's been yeah. pretty good there. Yeah. Uh, more than pretty good. He's been very solid there. Uh, the other thing about last night, which you've already talked about, which is the fact that Johnny Nelson did come out uh, and fill that role. And, you know, I think we've had this conversation about John- Johnny multiple times. He's a very young player. But if there's one thing that kid does and does it extremely well in, in ways that I think is better than many other people on the back line is he's just such a good, solid one-on-one defense and he will sacrifice himself to block a shot. Well, he's definitely the best outside back defender. He's definitely a better defender than Reynolds and, and Holly said both. Um, and Minjoma too, for that matter, you know, and his roster value is massively high because he can indeed play center back. He played left center back for about 10 minutes in the game yesterday between, between when they subbed on, I don't remember who they subbed on, but before they brought Reto on as a third center back, Johnny played about 10 minutes of left center back. And then he moved up. Once Reto came on, he moved up and played holding mid, which is something he did in college. I don't think we've seen that yet with FC Dallas from him, but it just shows his roster versatility. And we've seen him play right back too. So he, in a way, he's another Ryan. 
with his ability to play all over the place, which is invaluable. You know, now are you going to win MLS Cup with him as a left back? Not today, but you know he is improving his build, which we know for sure is a problem, and he is getting better about getting into the final third. Uh, the game before, um, Ricarte owes him an assist beer or something because he blew the one that Nelson should have had. Uh, so there's improvement there, but obviously at this point he's not the attacking outside back that, that Lucci's system is reliant on. Yeah, if you look at his passing chart, he only missed a couple of passes, and but it, all of his passes kind of stop once you got about halfway into the attacking half of the field. He he never really got deep like Ryan and 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 Brian have been. Tyler, are, are you uh, do you have any hot sports opinions about uh, uh, the young Mister Nelson? No, I mean. It, it... Echoing a lot of what of what Buzz had to say, like I, I love his effort defensively, and I remember the the Sporting Kansas City game where he frustrated every winger that they threw down that side, and uh, and, and it was really awesome to see. So I, I love the defensive aspect of his game, um, but Nashville obviously pressed up a little higher than I think FC Dallas anticipated last night, and that still presents problems for John Nelson when it comes to playing out of the back and feeling more comfortable, you know, progressing the ball up the field and uh, and being a left back in the way that that Ryan Hollingshead is a left back. So yeah, just just more of what what Buzz had to say, but uh, yeah, I think that there's still room for him to grow in those areas before I'm comfortable saying yes, this guy's our game in game out left back. I think that too many times he got caught in uh, in possession in, in in not great areas as a left back, and um and, and kind of we we missed Ryan in in certain areas while trying to play out of the back and while attacking down the left side uh, from the left back spot, and so. Yeah, there's there's growth to be had there, but you have to be encouraged by the fact that you know FC Dallas drafted a guy, you know, and has been able to get him on the field in a, in a lot of different ways. When you know he was drafted, what after Callum Montgomery? So yeah, you know, a good versatile guy. You know, I, I love a Swiss Army knife, a guy that can play in different spots and fill in where you need him and and, and do a job. And so uh, when John Nelson's in there, you know he's going to do a job and he's going to do it well defensively. And uh, and you might like a may, you may lack a little bit moving forward, but. Um, but you know that going in, and so uh, it's it's kind of just the give and take that, that you accept with, with him in that spot. Now, uh, this game was interesting because Nashville, despite being a, an expansion club, have really set their mark a, a, as a high bar in terms of defensive uh, skill sets, and, and they're I think they're the second uh, best defense in the league in terms of go, uh, goals allowed, and, uh, and, and really, as we know, up until this date, has really stymied Dallas in terms of attack, and I, and I was a little concerned for a while, because I think I, I was keeping track up until like the... Uh, I don't know. I think up until like the eighth minute of the game, Dallas, I don't think it completed a pass uh, past half field. And you, and then suddenly things started coming together. Now, I know Gary Smith made some changes to Nashville's lineup. And I'm wondering, uh, Buzz and Tyler, your thoughts on how the team performed in attack, because I don't know how much you can really base any super judgments on the Houston game based on how bad Houston is um, and how Dallas and all this kind of new Ricarte formation and Jesus's kind of uh, renaissance and kind of coming back in form uh, showed up last night in Nashville. Well, for me, that was the best uh, Jesus for a game of the year. You know, yeah. the last three or four, he's gotten better and better and better. Um, and a lot of it has just come down to simple positioning. Although I do have massive, massive concerns about his fitness problem. The fact that he can't get past about the 60, 65th minute. And it was at one point, Steve Davis called it a, said that Dallas had switched to a four man midfield. Well, they hadn't. It's just that when Jesus gets tired, he runs over and stands in front of the bench until Lucci takes him out. So it happens every game. 
And I'll, I'll, here's a question for you guys. When was the last like when time? My, it sounds like my, when my dog runs to the back door because it needs yeah, to go out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, when was the last time Jesus Ferrer played 90 minutes? What do you guys think? Oh, man. Uh, last season? Specifically, October 2019. Wow. It's been over a year since he played 90 minutes. So there's a significant problem there. You know, even if it's just a question of, that's Lucci's triggered guy to change the formation and change the, tech, the tactics. I mean, I could buy that. But to go a year without playing 90 minutes, that's well, you a know, problem. Here's the thing. I think there's a. I think there's something to take note of, though. I think his uh, being pulled out of games at the 50, 60th minute or whatever it had been had largely been uh, based on his really, frankly, crummy performance up to that point. What I think I've noticed is that he's really elevated his work rate in the last few games. I, I see that kid running and covering distance and space and chasing and pressing unlike I, I don't recall him doing before. And now I'm wondering if the reason why he's running out of gas at the 60th minute is just simply because he's trying and putting out so much effort, which then takes us back to the fact that he's the original FC Dallas player to test positive with COVID. Yeah. I mean, all those things are factors. I mean, you include in there's been some bad performances and it's no question that he's burning, running out of gas, 65, 70 minutes at, at most that he can go, you know, that's not 90 minutes fit. I mean, whatever your play style is, you have to be able to do it for 90 minutes. If you're going to play professional soccer now in an era with five subs, also a factor because Lucci can over sub. So guys are getting sub more than in the past. That's, I mean, all this goes into it. I just have concerns. And I, you know, we talked about this back when COVID first Shutdown first started happening, Peter. There are instances of lung and heart damage to people. Now, young people are usually better, I know, but it makes makes me raise my eyebrows. I wonder, you know, ah. fitness is a problem with this kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm a I'm a big believer. That's part of Ezekiel Elliott's issues uh, for da- uh, for the Cowboys. Is I think he's got post COVID syndrome and Oof, geez. many other things. I, I, have you ever seen the have you have you seen the video that I tweeted uh, of the game of him sitting on the sideline like huffing and puffing? No, I had not seen it. Oh, oh yeah, there was a I can't remember. It was a night game three or four weeks ago, and he he had it was one of the games where he fumbled twice. I'm sorry to change sports on everybody, but I think this is related to this in, this deal. And it had been a good three minutes post that issue, and the camera went looked over on the bench, and he is breathing in and out super hard. And I made me wonder. That's where I got the COVID idea, which is also now what I think about when I see Jesus huffing and puffing at 60 minutes is, man, I, I wonder if he's got post-COVID issues going on or just hasn't ever really able, able never really been able to get back to 100% fit. Um, and now he's working a lot harder than he had been earlier in the season. Yeah, I, I totally buy that he's working harder, and I, and I have no evidence that it's the COVID other than that's the year we're in, and he had it. He was the first guy that had it. So, you know, it was, and that was confirmed by not just me, by other people. Um, so there's absolutely a concern. All right, Tyler, he's not I'm the not- only guy. Sorry, he's not the only guy I have a fitness question with because you remember Tiago Santos had that streak back at the end of the summer where he couldn't go twice in a week and was falling mm-hmm. apart. Well, whatever that was, they fixed that problem. Because maybe it was just as much as the temperature or maybe Lucci is doing something different with minutes management or something or something during the week because now Santos is no longer having that problem. He's playing back-to-back games fine. Uh, Tyler, I'm not nuts. Uh, Jesus is working harder, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I was thinking to myself last night um, after the game, would I have thought that that was maybe the best performance we've seen out of Jesus this season, even if Ryan isn't able to clean up 
you know the mess in front of uh, in front of the goal and 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 score that goal you know after Ryan uh, or sorry after uh, Walker Zimmerman got back and initially kind of blocked him off would I still have thought that that was a great Jesus performance because Jesus plays the ball over the top for him and, and that sort of thing and I started thinking about it and I thought yeah I think that was the most aggressive that we've seen him I thought so often especially immediately following the restart when you would see him out there it felt like he was a passenger in the game rather than somebody that was actually trying to make some things happen and last night I thought I saw more aggressiveness out of him um and uh, and more willingness to uh, to defend with some veracity, you know, th- things along those lines. I-, I thought he was working harder. I think I-, I I think I've seen him be more aggressive on the offensive end uh, in the last couple of games as well. And so all of those I think point to a more aggressive, a more harder playing Jesus right now. But uh, I think fitness concerns are are a real issue right now. Okay, but real quick, if you go back and think about uh, one of the issues I've had with uh, Jesus is he just doesn't. For that position in particular, and I've really wrestled with how much of this is his fault, how much of it is the overall tactical plan and his teammates not getting him the ball. He For a guy in the middle of the field in such an important area, just don't feel like he gets a ton of touches. Now, he got oh, almost over 60 touches in the Houston game, but last night in Nashville, and maybe this again, it, he was down uh, lower than that. He didn't have quite as many touches. So do we feel like Jesus is getting the ball enough in that position for him to really be successful. Well, most of the, the most of the things that have that have come out of it that are really really making the team better just have to do with his positioning. Just would have to do with him putting a little extra effort in, getting into the right places. This is both offensively and de- defensively now. He's he's working back and checking back to cut off outlet passes just as much as he is making four-way runs into the box. So, even if he doesn't get any more touches, just being in the right place sometimes is enough. This is the difference between your best group of 11 players versus your best individual 11 players, right? We may not think that right now, Jesus is one of the best 11 players on the team, but if he's doing the right thing at the right time, that's what makes is more important. Um, I think with this energy, his touches have come up, but again, with, when he can't go 90, he's going to have a lot less touches than other guys. You know, you'd have to combine him with somebody else to really, you know, obviously, do it by minutes to figure out whether he's getting enough action. I'd like to see him get on the ball a little more. I'd like to see him get more assists. But I think now that he's back playing in a way that works, I think those things will come for him. Buzz, I'm curious your thoughts on this because there was a there was a point in the season where I thought that one of the biggest weaknesses that that Lucci had as a coach was inability to adjust within a game uh for instance like fc dallas would come out a certain way in a first half and look good maybe possess the ball a good amount um and then they would go into halftime other team would make an adjustment and there was never a counter adjustment by by lucci what do you think have you seen improvement in that in the last three four games um uh, over the last little while because I want to say that I believe that he's evolving as a coach and and learning a little bit more on the job, just about specifically as he knows his players a little bit better and knowing how to push the right buttons at the right time. But I want to say that I feel like that's the case, but I'm not entirely certain. His, I think he's improved. Um, it definitely was a weak area for sure. Uh, the two ways he's improved it are one, um, making some tactical shifts not yeah. being stuck in his 4-3-3 the whole time. This use of the, what we'll call a 5-4-1 of late as a game killing, although I think he goes to it a little early, but the use of that, um, I want to see him have some recognition that you you have to leave in guys that can either post up or play possession in that shape, and I think he's recognized that. 
Um, and also his, some of his subbing has gotten a little better. There were some times earlier this year where two or three or even all of the subs were, didn't work and were junk. And then there have been other times where he's made some changes that have been right on the money and very effective in particular late. The one we're seeing all the time is Jesus off, uh, a, a regular, more normal 6-8 combo player like Tessman come in, mm-hmm. solidify that defense a little bit, and slide Ricarte up a little bit as a who can also play a little defense as a 10 type. So um, some of those changes are still good and they're getting and some of them are getting even better. He's got a, he is a young coach. Look, we've talked about this many times, Peter. You know, we he got thrown in before he was ready. He'd never even been an assistant at a pro level, never even coached adults. So every game's a learning opportunity. But I do find that he does learn and he does adapt. And so I think it's going in the right direction in that regard. And he's very quick to admit that he blew something and he learned from it. So it's progress. I I, I do want to push back a little bit. I, I personally, uh, I get very worried uh, when I see uh, when I see Lucci default to shifting the team to a, a five-man back line. Uh, and sometimes I feel like he does it too late, and I also feel like sometimes he does it unnecessarily. Um, he, I, it's like he has no confidence that his defense is going to hold, so he, he feels like he needs to throw in another center back, and when that happens in a game where they've been playing with just two center backs, I suddenly feel like the thing starts to get a little disorganized uh, between whoever the three are that he has back there. I had a thought about that, that he may be trying to practice it. Because they can't, they basically can't practice really these days. Like the first day is recovery, and then there's like a day where you kind of introduce the concepts for the next game, and then you walk through, and that's it. There's no time to like develop new ideas and new tactics. So my my basic assumption that he's been doing it, overusing it, because I agree he's been overusing it, is that he's just practicing it the only way he can, which is in games. I know that's ridiculous, but. That's the world we're in when you're playing twice a week for what it's been three months now, twice a week. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I think about this just in the context of what if your, your four or five matchup in the first round of the playoffs is with LAFC and, and not wanting to believe that, uh, that it's as big of a coaching mismatch as it, as it may actually be. Because I think, I think Bob Bradley is obviously experienced and, uh, knows what he's doing with LAFC, even uh, if this season hasn't quite been as, as stellar as the last one. I don't know. I, I was thinking about that last night and thinking about uh, coaching matchups and, and some of the ways that we've seen this team um, play at times and, and maybe some of, the, some of the adjustments that I've seen other teams make in-game that have completely thrown FC Dallas off, and there's never been that counter that counter adjustment. Uh, even just like a slight tactical tweak. I think that to me is always the biggest issue because I see a lot of people on, you know, FC Dallas fans on, uh, on Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. When they, even before we bring on a fifth center back, think that FC Dallas gets pushed back too deep early on in second halves where we have the a lead. A fifth or center back? Sorry, uh, sorry, a third center back or a fifth man. <laughs> fifth defender, yeah. Oh, do we even have five center backs? No, no. no Not that he'll don't. play. No, yeah. Sorry, Tyler. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for correcting me, Peter. Um, no. no, but uh, even, even before he puts on a, a fifth defender, a third center back, 
um, feeling like FC Dallas resorts too often, too quickly to playing defensively. And I, I almost wonder if that's not the case, if, if that's not the instruction by Lucci. It's just that the team... Um, that the opponents have made an adjustment, made a tactical tweak that nullifies a lot of what FC Dallas wants to do, whether it's taking Ricarte out of the game and then FC Dallas isn't, isn't able to play out of pressure or things along those lines, and that it's more of a function of that. And I feel like I haven't seen that quite to the extent over the last couple of games, and that's, that's why I'm raising the question. Now, the other uh, interesting item from the game last night was that we got to uh, revisit our old friend Walker Zimmerman playing center of defense for Nashville. And and there was a, a whole bunch of chatter on the social media last night where people are like, man, why did we ever get rid of Walker? And some revisionist history, uh, I think, took place about the Zim man. Yeah, well, some of that got kicked off because I remarked how absolutely incredible a center back he is because he takes up uh, so much space on the field. And I don't mean like, you know, that he's big. I mean, like the impact he has on the game is like a whole quarter of the field is just Walker Zimmerman, just crushing everything that comes in there. It really is. A, he's a remarkable, remarkable defender. You know, I, I watched him play and thought, this is one of the best defenders in the whole damn league. This guy's amazing. And then, it, of course, the thought that, thought that followed was, think about all the teams that have dumped him. So I wonder, every time I'm watching play, I wonder well, what the heck. two. <laughs> well, it is only two, but if you're talking about a guy that clearly to me at this point is one of the best defenders in the league, well, it would be like Dallas dumping Matt Hedges. Why would you do that? Well, so it, in my it, head, it raises red flags, and that's why I'm like, man, what's the deal with this guy that everybody dumps him? Well, I uh, and I, you know, I think, and what I think we all tried to sort out last night was reminding everybody exactly what happened between him and Oscar here in Dallas. Um, you know, he was a young player. This is how I remember it. Tyler, you may have a different memory, but my recollection is, is that Oscar was very frustrated with Walker, that they were clearly trying to give Walker instruction and Walker wouldn't always follow it. And Walker would go off and do Walker things on the field and cost the team goals. And he'd have uh, pretty significant, uh, howlers during certain games. And they were all related to things that they told him not to do. And then he got injured at one point, and then that whole story about Walker saying he was 100% and the team saying, and Oscar specifically saying, no, he's not. And then um, LAFC came in and said, we'd love to have Walker, and by the way, we'll give you a half million dollars in a, you know, TGAM LMNOP money. Uh, oh, and we'll Which, also trade allocation spots with you from yeah. number 11 to number one, and it was almost like a no-brainer. Oh, and they had scouted Rito Ziegler at that point. Well, and also remember they traded that allocation uh, spot for another like 500K. So it ended up being almost a million dollars in Tam Gam, whatever it was for Walker. I'm, I'm not saying that's not a good deal, you know, but LA essentially did the same thing after a season was move on from him too. So, I mean, not to be flippant, but every coach that's had him has moved on from him. Well, so, but again, but, but, yeah. but, uh, but at this point, the Zimmerman LAFC situation was very much a business decision. He was up for a new contract that was going to cost a lot of money. They sure. already had a ton of expense on there. And Nashville gave them $1.25 million. It was a record for a player at that time. And so, it, in my mind, I think Zimmerman is a a victim of MLS uh, weird business shenanigans, not shenanigans, but uh, of how business works in Major League Soccer and not as much about his qualities on the field. Sure. That's my take. Wasn't there also a, um, a trial abroad at one point? I feel like it was Norway 
Um, Buzz, you might have to get with your good friend Lars and see if that's actually the case. But I feel like there was a trial uh, abroad at one point in there, and there was always kind of this feeling that, that, at least in my mind, that he saw himself elsewhere in the near future, and FC Dallas saw the opportunity with LAFC and, and took it. Sure, no, I, I agree that there are, and every chance he's moved, it's been a phenomenal business decision for the team that moved him. I agree with that. But if you really, really love a player, and I see a player that's one of the most dominant defensive players in the game and MLS, sure. why is it the coaches aren't going to the mat? Why aren't, why aren't they like, man, I cannot give this guy up. I got to figure out another way to get the money so I can keep that guy. Now, that, that's all it raises red flags. Let me finish my point. I know you don't agree, obviously. My point is that it raises the red flag in my head that he must be difficult to coach, right? Remember, that's the same thing with Oscar. Tried to give him instructions and he didn't want to do it. He's like, I'm playing the way I'm playing. So he, by all reports, he's a nice guy and a likable guy. So it's obviously that he's not a great A asshole. It must be that he's just not an easy guy to coach. And that's, that's all in my head that rings when I watch. I feel a disconnect between how good he is and team's willingness to move him on. That's that's what a question I was raising. Well, I, I think it's also worth pointing out that he probably that he, I, I think he grew a lot in his ability to play passes out of the back in, at LAFC. Not that he was bad at that with FC Dallas, but I thought that that was an area that he grew a lot at at LAFC. And now with Nashville, I think uh, with the game against FC Dallas, notwithstanding for whatever reason they came out and played differently than they had the previous three times that they played FC Dallas, but they played to his strengths big time by kind of sitting in that in that low to mid block, forcing teams out wide. And then teams just are, you know, like, okay, our only route to the box is by, you know, lumping crosses in there, which is Walker has always throughout his career eaten those for breakfast. Yeah. There's no question. He's better now than he was when he was here. There's no question. I I don't think there's a question about that. And Nashville is absolutely setting up their team to play to his strengths. And I think that that is a, is a wise thing for a team in their position and it's going to get him to the playoffs, which is, you know, which is impressive. But yeah, I think that, uh, I think it's fair to ask questions like that about, about him at this point. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, that game is now done and dusted. Dallas won a road game, whether it even if it's not officially a road game, I'm going to say it's a road game because they got on a plane and went somewhere (laughs) and played, by the way, in a place where Nashville had only lost once previously this season. It's it's not like going to Houston and beating Houston. There is a significant feather for Lucci's hat. Lucci should start wearing hats. Like a, like a chapeau or maybe a little... I don't know. I just think that could, you know, he seems to be a fashionable guy. It would be kind of cool if he started wearing hats. And after every win, significant win, he could put like a little tiny feather in it. And that'd be a good bit. I'd like, you know, bits are fun, Buzz. Yeah. Maybe we could give uh, uh, Tex Hooper a chapeau and he could uh, <laughs> uh, and, and put a feather in it every time Dallas gets a big win. I mean, you know, they've been trying to force a... Uh, a, a sideline sawing of a timber on FC Dallas for years now. So, uh, <laughs> what if Lucci came out in a different style of hat every game? Like one hat, you know, one yeah. day he came out in like a, a beret, and another one it was like a baseball hat, and then you know he walked out in a top hat in a particular game. It could be a sponsored bit for the pregame show. What hat is Lucci going to wear today? That's right. Come on, Lucci, Ty. Already, uh, you don't seem to be interested Lu- in the bit. No, Lucci has some mad swag already, so you may as well play it up, right? Whether it's a different uh, different hat, different sweater, whatever it is. You he know. is the Julian Nagelsmann of MLS, is he not? Oh, he's, he's better than Julian Nagelsmann. 
by a long uh, shot. You think you think Lucci'd ever wear the uh, seersucker suit that he wore no. against United in Manchester United? That was that was real bad. <laughs> that was that was real real bad. Nagelsmann always strikes me as the as the kid who wasn't sure how he ended up in the cool group, but just somehow did. And now he's like, all right, how do I live up to this this <laughs> you cool mean thing? You mean he's McLovin? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's, Julian Nagelsmann is McLovin. <laughs> yes, yes. He's 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 gotten to where he is by being incredibly smart, incredibly talented, but also probably a bit of a soccer nerd. And now he's like, all right, I gotta turn up my swag to eleven, and it's just all bad stuff. Now, how smart can he be when he got busted by for five goals against the team that then then around turns then turns around and uh, gets nutted by a uh, a team from Turkey you've never heard of before. And Demba Ba, who I didn't and, know yeah. was still playing soccer. Oh, and Martin Skirtle with hair. I mean, come on. Yeah, a lot of anomalies there. Uh, just right. oddities. Uh, so uh, that means there's one game left in the season, and it's up in Minnesota. And the reason why this game is important now is because, as I said at the beginning of this, Dallas, depending on the result, not just this game, but other games as well, Dallas could end up as low as seventh in the playoffs or as high. Hold on. As second, that seems absolutely ridiculous that Dallas could finish second at the end of this season. Well, when you go points per game and you've only played 20 games basically on average for the league, uh, you know, it's going to be super, super tight. And one one win or one loss can make a big difference, you know. Uh, somebody remind me, Tyler, you're going to know this. What is Dallas's record against Minnesota this year? I don't I think they recall won one them. and lost one. Uh, they they won the game that uh, that Fafa Pico had a great game at the end of August, and I think they turned around and went up to Minnesota and lost three to two. That's like a right. week or two later at so, Minnesota. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. And they had yeah. a game put. They had a game canceled slash postponed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Buzz, what you what you thinking is the smart play here as you uh, as you. I mean, obviously, you want to get home games because yeah. travel and everything for this is even more than normal uh, a real problem. Yeah, Lucci said at the beginning of the season, winning, a, getting a home playoff game was the goal for the year. And just you know, yesterday he doubled down on that. So they're going to try and get a result, a tie or a win, gets them the home game. But they've just demonstrated that they can go on the road with a little bit of rotation and do that. So I think you know, some of that rotation will continue. Now, do you consider Reto rotation? I don't know. I, I think I think they'll keep Bersan in there. The question will be how big are the knocks, and maybe uh, this is where Tyler might actually know more than me, um, on Hara and um, Fafa Pico. Santi's back and playing, but he can't go 90 minutes. So, you know, it, Ryan at the wing is entirely possible again unless Fafa comes back and is a little healthier um, or Hara comes back and is healthy enough to go because then you can move Pepe to the wing as well. Um, so there's going to be a little bit of light rotation, but not heavy because you want to maintain the groove and you want to get the result. You want to go for the game. You know, they might, you might see them if they can get out early, they'll try and bunker with that same 5 4 1. You know, it, it'll be a typical road kind of game that we've seen of late the last few, which is play a little bit early and see what happens. Yeah, I don't have any any particular insight on those on those training knocks um, and how serious they are. I mean, I, I know Hara at least didn't travel with the team. Pico was a surprise to me, um, you know, as the as the lineup was announced and um, kind of found some things out through through the grapevine, but don't know how serious those those injuries are. So 
you know, I I definitely think you keep the midfield, you keep that continuity going the way that it has been. I I wouldn't make any changes there, and you know, you've won three games in a row, right? Um, you want to keep that momentum going into the playoffs. You're in a you're in a good spot, honestly. And so, uh, so for me, I I make as as few changes as possible going into this because uh, you have the you have the potential to host a, a playoff game in your own hands. You know, you, you don't have to wait and see any other results. You know, a, a win or a draw on the road in this game gets you that home playoff spot. And so I think that's a, that's a great spot to be in. So go out and grab it. That's kind of my perspective on it. Okay, so as we move into this final game, I want to throw some appreciation in my never-ending quest to uh, have the most giant man crush on Steve Davis ever possible was how much I appreciated him last night going out of his way to comment on Jimmy Maurer because I think Steve is correct. We're not spending enough time talking about what a fantastic season that guy has had. Do we all go back to when we realized that uh, they had fired Jesse for good reason and we were all very worried about how this was all going to go together in goal and I don't think we've worried about it for a minute since. Well, uh, I knew that Jimmy Allstate Maurer was back there, so I was not particularly concerned because I've always felt he was a MLS-level starting player. You know, we knew that his communication was phenomenal. We know that the back line plays better when he's there because there's stronger uh, coordination and cohesiveness than when it is Jesse because Jesse does not talk. You guys probably know that, whereas Jimmy talks incessantly. So that's a positive in a goalkeeper. Jimmy's a terrific game reader, better game reader than Jesse, where Jimmy lacks is the uh, side-to-side athleticism to get one post to the other. That's where he's missing. And maybe some pure long-range shot-stopping, power shot-stopping, but um, that doesn't happen very often at Dallas, and Jimmy tends to deflect them more than anything else than, than punch them like a, a Jesse might. So um, they've long had two good starting keepers, and I'm not surprised at all. I think you can't undersell how good he's been, though. I think he's been even better than any of us expected. He's got to be one of the best keepers in the league this year, no question. Uh, they're going to have to give the guy a pay raise if they're going to want to keep him, probably. I don't know when his salary's contract's up, but um, when a guy's playing like that, people are going to notice and someone else might try and steal him away. Yeah, and I think one of the things that, that has come out of this this whole situation of having uh, fewer fans in the stadium, you know, just less noise in general, is you really get a sense of who are the vocal players on the field and who aren't. And, boy, you get to hear every single word he says on the field when you're there at Toyota Stadium and he's playing. Like, you really get a sense of how he commands the back line and maybe a new appreciation for it because it's not something I'd ever – I'd always heard he commands the back line better, and that was something I'd parroted and just kind of said. But then getting to see it in an empty stadium or nearly empty stadium where you hear every word that's spoken I think has been a really, really good lesson, I think, just to see – how much of an impact he really does have on the back line. And especially, you know, as you bring in a guy like Brian Reynolds in the middle of the season to take over for, you know, a Reggie can and a guy that, you know, was experienced that you trust uh, all of a sudden, you know, throwing in a new 19 year old guy who hadn't played a ton in major league soccer at that position, hearing Jimmy Maurer, you know, shouting at him, go Reynolds, go, you know, different things like that, I think has been uh, a real steady presence at the back for this team. And the, I, we have, I totally have failed to mention the other big surprise last night was Frank O'Hara wasn't even in the starting 18. We got Pepe last night. And we, anybody want to comment on Pepe's performance and the, the uh, pros and cons of Pepe versus Hara? Oh, gosh, I, I do. Yeah. Go ahead, Tyler. Yeah. 
I liked Pepe a lot last night. Uh, I liked his activity. He came close twice. He had a header in the first half and then a, a shot that uh, stung the palms in the second half of Joe Willis. And so I, I think he... I think Pepe is right there, ready to take a step forward. I think it takes minutes, and I think it takes a little bit more experience. But I, I really liked what I saw, especially it, growing up a little bit when it comes to hold-up play. I always thought, yeah, he, he's always looked a little lanky, but I feel like he's growing into his frame a little bit more. And seeing that last night and seeing a, a little bit of improvement on, in the hold-up play, I think, um, man, I really liked Pepe's performance last night. Yeah, some body maturity on a 17-year-old kid will – uh, help, you know, 17 to 19 <laughs> is a big period of time, yeah. um, you know, in terms of filling out for a kid. But my takeaway on him was how many times were you like, oh, so close on, on Pepe? For me, it was mm-hmm. about 10 different occasions. And all that is, is just a split second of your game reading that will come with time. You know, never forget that he was in the U17 team last year. <laughs> right. I mean, I know he played with North Texas, but he also played in the U17 team. So it's just a question of MLS uh, every t- every level you go up, the speed goes up. And MLS, you have about a second. And if you want to go to the national team, it's down to like half a second. The higher you go, the tighter the space, the less time. So he's just a split second in his game reading from putting it all together and being an incredibly effective player. And it, it'll get it'll get there. And I'm so, I was so excited watching him play, thinking to myself, oh man, this is about to happen. And I don't yeah. mean like this week. I mean it's about to happen in terms of within a season or so, there should be a click and it should work. And, and uh, we spent right. a lot of time talking about Walker Zimmerman, but when you look at you know the, the players that Nashville trots out there defensively, you know even Dave Romney next to Walker Zimmerman. I know Dave Romney's not like the example of like the best modern you know MLS center back, but that's a guy that's that's won championships, that's played at a high level for a while. Annabelle Godoy, a defensive midfielder. It wasn't like Ricardo Pepe was out there doing it at uh, against again like a thirty-eight year old you know minor Figueroa in Houston. Like this was uh, that's a good back line. That's full of like good solid MLS professionals. And so you're right. I, I thought that last night was a great example of uh, of a step that's that's he, he's just right there on the cusp, and it's exciting. Okay, and in those two uh, specific moments, opportunities that he had, million dollar salary aside, does Frank O'Hara finish either one of those? Uh boy, um, it's hard to know. You know, O'Hara might not have gotten to the exact ones that Pepe gotten to because Pepe's a little bit quicker. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. So, yep. you know, there are also Pepe plays as a pure high nine. He pushes the line. He doesn't post up as much. He's still learning that part, but he's a pure high line player versus Hara, as we've talked about, is basically running as a false nine. Um, so there's, there's, a big, there's a big differentiation there in how they play. So it's, I think it's hard to make that distinction of, oh, Hara would or wouldn't have gotten to that. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, and this is the big distinction that I think is important is how they play that position differently. And I, and again, this is one of those deals. I used to think about this about Blas Perez and Maxi Arruti all the time because I'd get so frustrated when our nine was, you know, sitting on the on the deep end of the mid <laughs> in the in the center circle trying to pick up balls and never up in the box. And and I always wonder, is that a function of how the coach is telling them to play it, or are they just so desperate to get on the ball that they're willing that they just feel the the need to come back sixty yards deep, uh, and which Ricardo was not doing last night. I think that's a nature of the player. Um, you know, when you have a particularly in the Oscar eras, Oscar's teams sat in mid blocks and countered. 
you know, so those guys might go long stretches up there by themselves doing nothing. So they would, Max in particular, would go walk about all the time. He did it when he was in Portland too. He would go walk about looking for the ball, trying to find it. Does it in Montreal? Yeah. Does he? Oh, yeah. 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 It's so that one's the nature of the player. Blas, I'm not as sure. That may have been Blas trying to work in the system that Oscar was running. You know, Hara for sure, even when I watched the YouTube of him uh, down in Monterey, um, he was doing the same thing. He would go out wide to try and pick the ball up and then kind of want to cut, dribble inside, like into the gap with it. So, as again, that's the nature of the player in that case. But I do really like the fact that FC Dallas does have a Franco Hara on the roster right now, not because I think he's going to do an amazing job of mentoring Ricardo Pepe or anything like that, but I do want Ricardo Pepe to have to battle against somebody who is sure. a seasoned vet in order to get those minutes. I think a lot of people who are heavily on board the play the kids train, not just at FC Dallas, but just at MLS in general, just want to see kids get on the field and, and play. And for me, I, I, I think that's great. I think minutes are valuable, but I also think it's valuable to have to go up against the guy you know, that plays your exact same position, plays it differently, but plays your exact same position and beat him for minutes. And I want to see Ricardo Pepe do that. Yeah, Cobra would have been a better match stylistically yes. in terms of mentoring. Definitely, definitely. Hard near post runs, things like yeah, that. I, yeah. I would have loved to see. Push the yeah. line, yep. Okay, so uh, we will learn more next week as uh, Dallas has one more game, and then they've got this weird time off before they get to a, a playoff game. It, uh, real quick, Tyler, uh, in the first round, is there a team that you want to play and a team you don't want to play? I would really like to avoid LAFC in the first round. Uh, I, I mean, look, I, I know they got beat by San Jose, but LAFC still just scares me. Uh, that That team can can pick anybody apart and on their night you, you feel like they're going to get into the playoffs and feel like they're on a mission and so i would really rather avoid lafc i would much rather minnesota or colorado hop up into that spot or something along those lines and i would also really rather not drop down and end up facing seattle in the first round again that just uh that hasn't proven to go well for dallas <laughs> buzz you have a, a selection there well other than the obvious having to go on the road anywhere i don't really like the, uh, if i have to go on the road i want to go to sporting that's the road game i want yes because um, uh, when we talked about coaches earlier talk, there's a coach that lucci's got his number it's peter Vermees right now the team i don't want to face with c dallas face with a home game is san jose i don't want san jose and juan though to come down here and, and with their ability to win any singular game that would be bad for me i think that's going to be a wild style to see play in a one-and-done playoff scenario because they could easily go blast anybody, and they could also just lay a giant goose egg and lose 6 nothing. Yep. So it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I think the playoffs in general being one-and-done is going to be fascinating. And, and really, what I, and I still don't think we've heard officially what the travel allowances are. You know, Currently, everybody's in and out on the same day. Are they going to let people go in a day early? Um, and get acclimated before the game. I, I, I have to think they'll let them do that because otherwise it's such a huge disadvantage uh, for the road team to have to travel on the same day. The other big news of the week was uh, the revelation by Buzz, who dropped the big Huntsman dump on everybody, that uh, Thomas Roberts is going on trial to Scotland. Yeah, he's uh, lined up an opportunity, um, and this is not like one of these rebellious opportunities. It's not like he's given the team the finger as he runs out the door. Um, they are aware of it, so that's not a problem. Uh, here's a minor Huntsman dump for you. Thomas has got one more year on his original contract. It's a home contract, and then he has two team option years. 
So it's not like he's about to go walk about or anything. It would have to be a loan or a buy if it does happen. Um, essentially, effectively, with the North Texas season over, he's not in the rotation for FC Dallas. So he knew well in advance, and he's probably not the only one, mind you. He's just the one that's managed to make it happen. He knew he was going to have a longer winter because he's not going to be doing anything with Dallas. So he's lined up an opportunity to get himself a look. And I'm really on board with the idea as a concept because he's now, to me, proven he's too good for North Texas. And if he's not going to be in the rotation with FC Dallas, he'll stagnate. So if he spends the next, I don't know, six months with somebody in Scotland where he'll be out of his comfort zone, having a fight against big guys, presumably in a relatively physical league. One, I think it's not quite as good as MLS, but it's for sure going to be a lot tougher than uh, where North Texas is and probably a lot tougher than the USL championship, I would imagine. So I think it's an amazing challenge and it's the kind of challenge that will stretch a young kid. And, and, and if he can overcome it and defeat the challenge, it'll, it'll make him a much, much better player over the short term even uh, and actually be able to help FC Dallas hopefully soon. Okay, uh, Buzz, anything else that we need to touch on today here on Z-Pod? Yeah, I have a, uh, a revision to last week's discussion about Paxton Pomacall. <sighs> I know. Well, I did some research. God, please first. tell me you're not going to tell me something bad. No, no, yeah, I think you're going to like it. I did some okay. research first to get you some numbers. Remember we talked about where Paxton has started and all that kind of stuff, so... Um, by the way, he's only had four starts since August of 2019, late August of 2019, which I ought to tell you something. Thanks for but, rubbing it in, Buzz. I know. No, I'm not rubbing it in. I'm discussing what the reality of the situation. All right. So in, in Lucci's tenure as a coach, Paxton has made 12 starts as the 10 or free eight, whichever one you want to call it. Six is a linking eight and five starts on the wing. You mean the good times when the he good was times? In the this was mostly in 2019, mostly in 2019, Pri- and and probably prior to him going to the World Cup. Uh, a the lot of it, World yeah, Cup. but a lot of it after too. A lot of it after too. Um, and then as a sub, he's made four times as a sub as they ten or free eight, uh, five times as a linking sort of eight, and then three times as a wing. And one game he actually played wing back for a short stretch, which I thought was surprising. What um, game was that? It was actually the playoff game against Seattle. There was a stretch where he played wing back in that oh, game. Oh, that's right. I remember yeah. That. So, uh, so in total, right? He's they made lost that game. They did lose that game. So he's made more starts as the the ten or free eight than he has at, at any other position combined. Right? Six is a linking, five is a wing, and then the bench is kind of a lot more even. Right? It's 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 more as a linking eight or a wing and less as a playmaking 10. But regardless of the fact, all those numbers say that Lucci loses him all over the place. Right? Fair enough. Mm -hmm. But the big thing that has me rethinking this whole scenario is my 100% conviction now that Andres Ricarte should be a deep-lying playmaking 8. So that changes the competition and it changes the dynamic in midfield because now Ricarte is competing at that deeper position, which theoretically was Brian Acosta, was Tanner Tasman, was Brandon Cervania. So we have saw over the time before Acosta got hurt, we saw Lucci moving Acosta higher and almost playing him as a 10 a game or two, if you remember, before Acosta got hurt. So because of the fact that, for me, Ricarte now is going to be, when healthy, as much as a lock as possible in that deep-lying eight position, I believe, that changes the dynamic of the other position, this 10, this free eight, whatever you want to call it, the one that Jesus is playing. So now I think if you're looking at next year, based on the late success of this season, next year, Jesus Ferreira and Paxton Pomichol will go head-to-head for that high midfield position. 
one of those two guys, maybe with a cost of factoring in there. Well, well, those are your looks and the guys that he has to beat. So if Paxton is healthy, there's a legitimate chance that he's your number one guy in that position. So that's a different change for me from where we were, even as short as a week and a half ago before this new position surfaced for Ricarte. Boy, and you can just imagine Paxton pressing from that position and giving FC Dallas a whole new look when it comes to how you press, how you attack other teams. I... That 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 tantalizes me. Yeah, that would well. That seems to be the natural spot for the kid, and the one that it seems to make the most sense. I would suggest that he probably play it a little deeper um, than Jesus yeah. is playing it. But um, but along those lines, though, Paxton is way better at that burst run into those gaps with his aggressiveness and his hyper engine and his hyper press. So it would be different than Jesus. You're right. You're correct. But he would he would have the ability to go more, it wouldn't be box to box, but he would go midfield to end line much more aggressively than Jesus does. He he would, he would press, uh, Jesus has tried hard to press uh, in these last few games, but Paxton would be better at that. But the big advantage Paxton gives this team is his willingness to take defenders on in the final third or in zone 14 or whatever you want to call it, not to be a soccer nerd about it because Jesus won't do it. Brian Acosta won't do it. Tanner doesn't do, doesn't do it. None of them do it. He's the only one from the center of the field that will get on the ball and go at people. Uh, and more times than not, he actually uh, ends up creating really dangerous chances out of it. So that is something exciting to think about uh, for next season. Yeah, the combination of Santos and Ricarte behind Paxton is super, super fascinating to me. You know, with your overloading outside backs, obviously left wing is still a question mark if somebody can't stay healthy. But, uh, you know, there's some real dynamic play options there, you know, and, and, and you'll have some versatility with Acosta or with Jesus if you want a different style in those positions. Yeah. Well, we've gone a really long time, and, and Tyler's on, and probably another fun conversation would be uh, Burhalter's roster announcement for the national team games coming up, but we should probably save that for another conversation another day. <laughs> That's a whole other hour podcast, Peter. Yeah, yeah it I is. know. It is pretty cool, yeah, it though. Is. But, but it, is de- it. it is depressing. Well, I guess Paxton wouldn't have been on it anyway because he's not Euro-based, but uh, yeah. it, just, it, it just felt like one of those rosters that Paxton would be on uh, in a perfect world, right? Uh, you oh, know, in a perfect I world, so. probably, but um, in the current world, no way in heck. I mean, there's a there's a domestic camp coming up. I think here's the bigger question for me right now: When does Brian Reynolds get a call? January. Uh, to the to the full national team, senior, senior team? national team, yeah, senior national team. Uh, well, certainly for the January camp, yeah. I mean, he's played really well. I mean, we really didn't talk about Brian too much because uh, much, we've talked about him so much. But, man, he's just been a solid, consistent yeah. uh, producer the last well, few games. When you look at what the schedule looks like for the U.S. men's national team next summer, you have Olympics, you have Gold Cup, and you have World Cup qualifying, all three of those. Am I right? You also have a U-20 I, yeah. championship, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you have, like four different teams that he could potentially be a part of. So I think Burhalter is going to bring in a massive MLS camp in January, which I would 100% expect Brian Reynolds to be a part of because I think he'll be on one of those teams next summer. Okay. All right. Uh, last call. Anything else going no, on? I think you got it all. Tyler going twice. I am tapped out, buddy. Tyler Kern. Radio voice of FC Dallas. Thank you so much for being uh, subbed in today for the Dan Crook of the world. Man, I'll be your sub. I'll be your uh, your Maxi Rudy anytime. 
<laughs> You're awesome. You can find Tyler Kern on Twitter. What is your Twitter account? At the at, Tyler Kern? At Tyler A. Kern. And where do we find FC Dallas radio broadcasts? <laughs> FCDallas.com slash radio. Can't okay. find it anywhere else. Is it not on an app or anything? No app. No gotta app. Go, gotta go there. Uh, you could download the Mixler app probably and find it that way, but just, just go to FCDallas.com slash radio. Hmm. Yeah. I just, I just want to like turn a knob on my radio dial and have you come in there but i guess that's too old-fashioned this is how we reach the kids peter the kids you gotta go to the phones right uh buzz thank you man and uh good stuff today you're welcome peter thank you for hosting thanks pappy check for the music thanks listeners and thanks patrons at patreon.com slash third degree join us won't you Hey, are you going to throw in that new idea I had for you for the Patreon? Yes, I made that very idea happen today. I need you and Dan to get involved for testing purposes, and then you can get out if you want. But we'll, Te- we'll announce that good, when it happens. Yeah, that's a good tease. Yeah. It's super exciting. Yep. Um, get your paywall Swimsuit money talent. ready. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're only going to wear those really ridiculous, like uh, old school 1930s yeah. singlet type swimsuits. We could yes. probably pull off a 30 degree dog's calendar. Probably do that. Oh, actually, we could do that. Yeah. Excellent. Well, this has been a ton of fun. Tyler, again, thanks so much, Buzz. Thank you. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak yeah. to you next week as we head to the playoffs on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Dad Crook. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nair podcast.